Do you want to hear what the best and most influential minds in the golf and turf industry have to say on issues affecting the world of golf? Turf grass and turf equipment? That's why I'm here. Tune in as Steven Tucker takes us on a journey with some of the nation's best minds and finds out what they think. If you were looking for excitement, you have found the right place. Welcome to the Turf Addict Podcast. All right. Thanks, everybody, for uh, being here for, I believe this is episode seven of, uh, of my podcast. Um, this week, I'm happy to have uh, with me a good friend, mentor, uh, jokester, um, Bruce Williams um, from, from Williams Consulting. Uh, I kind of wanted to bring Bruce on to kind of talk a little bit more you know, about consulting in general. Uh, so he's got obviously he's got a lot of background in it and and uh, I know there's a lot of consultants out there and people that are actually looking to be consultants later and I thought it'd be a great way to uh, you know help give people some advice on um, what uh, what they should look out for and things like that but also you know who, who better to kind of answer these questions than someone that travels more than more than I think I'm awake um so bruce great to have you here thanks for spending some time with me today oh thanks steven it's a pleasure and glad you consider me a friend and a mentor and uh we've had some uh work times and some fun times together it's much appreciated and anything i can do to help you or help the industry uh further itself along uh we all win by that so happy to chat with you well bruce let's start off here um you know, I know that you and, you know, I lived kind of close to Palatka, but I know you spend a lot of your vacation time there. Um, I just wanted to, you know, I know you've got some stories about the place, and I just wanted to kind of start things off with uh, with that trip. Unfortunately, one who travels as much as I do, you depend on a lot of uh, Travelocity and Hotels.com and uh, finding lodging in some places, and unfortunately... Uh, if I found out later on, um, I was planning a trip up to northern Florida, actually to Yuli, and uh, the closest hotel I could find was in Palatka. Not knowing anything about Palatka, um, I took the hotel room. It took me about an hour and a half through the uh, swamp and the jungle to get there and found out it's a big catfish capital. But uh, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody, uh, and let's just leave it at that. But it may be a very nice place for <laughs> others. But it's not mine, so I tease you as a Floridian unmercifully about Palatka. So uh, we'll leave that alone and uh, move on to bigger and better conversations. <laughs> yeah, I think half of my email box is, uh, fr- from you is filled with Palatka, catfishing, and, and those types of jokes. But, you know, it's uh, definitely a different place, great place to, <laughs> to visit if you like catfishing, that's for sure. Um so Bruce, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, I know, I know that you do searches for superintendents and, and that type of thing. Um, is there one thing that you kind of see that's typical on, you know, reasons why guys either don't get the job or, or, you know, that, that thing that just keeps popping up, you know, that, that, that thing you're looking for, the thing that they're missing, um, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that whole search process and, and, you know, whether it's a superintendent or not, you know, what are those things that they really need to have together before they go into these into these types of uh, job opportunities? Wow, you asked me to list one thing, and there's a myriad of them. So 
I'll cover a couple different ones. And as you indicated, Steve, and I do uh, searches for superintendents. I do searches for assistant superintendents. Um, actually do industry searches for uh, some of the big uh, manufacturing companies, uh, local distributors, et cetera, et cetera. So if it's in the sports turf or it's in the uh, golf industry or turf industry, uh, do it all. Um, probably the primary one is most people are not prepared to say yes. Most people are not prepared to take on that next job. Uh, some people may have lost their job. Some people may have been disenfranchised. Some people may have been at their uh, place of work for 20 years. And the last time they interviewed for a job was 20 years ago. And so it's not something you go in and just figure it out the day you're sitting down to interview or the day you're figuring it out to send a resume. So uh, when one's looking for a job, for whatever reason, know what you want. It's pretty easy. Write down a list. Where do you want to work? What part of the country? Where do you want to live? What part of the country? You know, what type of a facility do you want to work at? And for superintendents, that's going to be very, very specific because we have different uh, grass growing zones and climatological zones and such. And there's guys who specialize in poor water quality. There's guys that specialize in growings, guys that specialize in construction, and some that have all of the above. Some are just normal routine maintenance. Some have tournament experience. So with that, the more of those that, that match up and link up uh, with what the job that is offered is, the better off one is going to be. Now, in the uh, equipment technician area, it's a little bit different. It probably doesn't matter all that much whether a golf course is in Florida or whether it's in Chicago or somewhere else uh, because the equipment pretty much is the same, uniform from one property to another. Uh, but again, be prepared going in. Uh, maybe we'll get into a little bit later about the exact interview process and you know typical questions that are asked. But if I was an equipment technician today, and I wanted to relocate for whatever reason. Uh, if my spouse has taken a job five states away and I have to move with her, uh, then the right way to go about it would certainly be to, uh, you know, put together a portfolio, um, inform your current employer that because of those circumstances you're looking, make sure that they have, uh, you have their blessing and that they would be a reference for you. Um, and again, we'll get into some of the more spe specific things relative to a technician uh, with some upcoming questions. Yeah, so you know, just in that regard, Bruce, have you have you done any equipment management uh, searches? Do you see that coming in the future? I mean, do you see more clubs looking for that? With the lack of them, obviously, um, then you, you you take what's out there and then you can pull it into you know, some really big clubs looking for qualified guys, and that can sometimes be hard to hard to distinguish. Um, have you been involved in any of those, or do you see that on the horizon? I have been involved in some, and I will tell you this. Uh, if we go back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I've been in this business for over 50 years. You know, we just tried to find somebody that was, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, a wrench that could fix things, repair things, keep things running. It's so much more today. Uh, I'm very naive in my mechanical skills, but if I wanted to keep a job in the winter when I was growing up in the business, 
I had to be able to take a series four green mower apart and put it back together, you know, clean, clean the heads, um, put new gaskets in it, whatever it took. I had to be able to sharpen in the winter. I was in Chicago and if you didn't do that, you didn't have a job. That was everybody. So the uh, mechanic, as they were known of at, the, at that time, um, they virtually, you know, were better than everybody else at doing that. But there was no formalized training. Now, if we jump fast forward to today, what's out there, and you and I have had this conversation before, um, you know, at L.A. Country Club, I had a fleet manager. My fleet manager was responsible for 36 holes worth of golf equipment, uh, a fleet of vehicles that was owned by the club, driven by different department heads, different departments, et cetera, et cetera, a whole uh, fleet of golf cars, 110 of those. So responsible for purchasing decisions, responsible for preventative maintenance programs. So you're talking a significant um, expense and revenue if you look at the golf cars side of things. And it's a business. It's a little business within a business. So the club's a business, the grounds department's a business, and then the fleet management is a business within a business within a business. And so the reality is, um, I'm sure you've heard this on your travels, Stephen, one of the hardest jobs to fill at a golf course is finding a qualified equipment technician. And uh, as we go down in this podcast, uh, that's a question that begs a question. How do you, how do you um, define what qualified is? And uh, I've got my ideas on that, but pretty much uh, I worked at such and such a course. I can work on these brands of equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And I think out there today for the type of people that would hire a search firm to do a search, they're looking at somebody that can manage a fleet, uh, show examples of preventive maintenance programs, show examples of savings, show examples of productivity, of having equipment that's running and not sitting there, uh, show examples of not having a boneyard with a bunch of junk out there that um, you know, equipment replacement program, five-year, 10-year equipment replacement program. And, you know, people are going to pay a premium for that. Uh, but undoubtedly, and I, I don't want to say the exact amount, but I think many, many courses today, the compensation for the technician is uh, often as much or more than the assistant superintendent. And assistant superintendents have come up by GCSA survey standards and my own personal knowledge but the technicians have as well. And it gets down to the basic law of economics, supply and demand. Uh, there's not enough people out there to fill those jobs. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are qualified uh, to uh, be a mechanic. And a lot of people are qualified to fix motors. But when you're starting to deal with uh, electronics, you're starting to deal with computerized systems, GPS sprayers, all those various things. It's a technical job today. Right. And uh, so long answer to your question, but um, I would think that uh, in the future, I will have more of those searches that will be requested of me. Um, we don't go out necessarily and look for them. Um, we usually find people that are familiar with all that we do in executive golf search. And they say, by the way, can you help us with this? And that's word of mouth is how we get that business. Right. Would you, do you think superintendents are looking more at um, personality than they did before in that position? Well, I, I don't want to get a lot of hate mail after this podcast, <laughs> even, but I'll say this. Um, 
it's a little bit like the chef in the clubhouse to some degree. Right. You can find somebody that's really excellent in the work they do, but their personality may not be uh, compatible with the rest of the team and can cause disruption. Or you can find the nicest guy in the world and his or her competency skills may not be the same as what the uh, you know what the other person is. So they've got to be both. They've got to be a blend for what the team is and the culture of the operation and the business. And then additionally, they have to be uh, somebody that uh, technically is competent to get things done. And uh, honestly, it's a little bit of a rare breed. Um, I'm switching gears a little bit, but. You know, a lot of times the superintendent position, they're hiring a guy when they interview him. The the most often heard statement at the end of an interview is, we really liked so-and-so. Rarely do they say so-and-so is the most competent. So a lot of it has to do with the ability to uh, relate to people, interpersonal skills, staying calm under fire. Um, you know, I'd ask a question in an interview for a fleet manager you know, what's the most significant uh, problem you've ever dealt with uh, at your operation? How did you deal with it? What's the biggest personnel problem you've ever dealt with? How did you deal with it? And we have to remember a lot of times the people that are interviewing somebody for a job, they're not as technically competent as the fleet manager or technician that we're talking to. So, um, you know, again, I'd like to see a portfolio from somebody Here's where I worked. Here's what it was like when I got there. Here's what it's like 10 years later. Here's the advances that we made. And we can do the same thing for you at this property. Why I'm a value proposition is what it amounts to. Right. So, you know, checking technically, I mean, it's fairly similar to what a superintendent, you know, obviously the roles are different, but the requirements are the same is to tick as many boxes as you can. Uh, so you're more relevant to more employers, right? Exactly. Yes. No. No doubt about it. Um, again, there's going to be all these different parameters. Somebody may say, "I don't work weekends." Uh, the more tight you are with things and less flexible, the less of a match you're going to be. Somebody might say, "You know, I, um, I, you know, I don't want to live outside of the Atlanta area." Well, if they don't want to live outside of the Atlanta area, they're going to find a job much easier in Atlanta than I can help them find a job. You know, so we try to find out all the things. What is a good fit? What is a good fit? And uh, as I say, typically when people are ready to make a move, um, they're really not ready. Uh, it's come on them, been thrust on them very quickly. Uh, they may have been let go. They may have been pushed out. A new superintendent may have come in. He may have wanted to bring his technician with him from his prior property. doesn't matter what the reason is, but uh, my motto is keep your head on a swivel. And when I say keep your head on a swivel, why wouldn't any one of us want to be prepared for that day when it comes, when it's time to move on? You don't have to do it every week. You don't have to do it every month, but at least once a year, uh, the listeners of this podcast should freshen up their resume, uh, constantly be developing um, documentation of their portfolio, examples of the work that they do and have done, uh, any certifications they received, uh, additional training. And again, we often think of the uh, mechanic that uh, that person is, uh, you know, gone to a Toro school or one of the other manufacturers. Well, when there's interpersonal skills and there's workshops and seminars, that's a good thing. 
in the parts of the country I worked in, Chicago and Los Angeles, uh, if someone can speak Spanish as a second language and the crew is 90% Spanish speaking, that's a plus if somebody's taken those classes. So, um, again, the more skills, and I do a whole seminar on, you know, skills that set you apart, you really are in competition when you go for a job. So your skill set has to be as good or greater than the other people that are competing for that position. Right. So basically, we should do a new business venture, matchmaker.com, for like uh, superintendents and technicians. Create profiles and, and build them. Well, you know, you and I will have to have that uh, conversation <laughs> privately, Stephen, because we don't want to give all our business uh, uh, entrepreneurial ideas right. to the masses out there. But uh, <laughs> what, when it's past my time, uh, undoubtedly, I think uh, you know, I think GCSAA has made a step in the right direction with uh, having uh, programs for the equipment technicians yep. and even uh, certification. So it's been a long time coming. Um, a lot of times when we're hiring somebody it's we're taking their word that they can do certain things don't tell me show me right and it's pretty hard for somebody to show you you just got to take their word for it sure so during the interview process and I'm, i've interviewed a lot of guys before and i i know some of the typical mistakes what what do you see when you're when you're interviewing guys the the common things that they that they kind of mess up on do you know, I, I've talked to a couple of superintendents that have interviewed and, you know, they kind of go all in on one subject. And it, it, what, what is it that you're looking for when you're interviewing it, uh, interviewing someone to make sure they're the right fit? Um, or are they just kind of selling you a story? Does that make sense? Well, first thing, Stephen, is before anybody gets to an interview, they've been vetted thoroughly by me when I'm doing that. Right. So whether it be a superintendent, a technician or a sales representative for a manufacturer or distributor, um, I can assure you that uh, they've submitted to me their resume. I've analyzed it. I've checked it out. In many cases, done a background check to find out their education is what they say it is. Sure. Um, sure. I'm going to make sure that I contact not only their references, but people who they don't have down as references. Never seen anybody write down a bad reference yet. But <laughs> you know what? If you worked uh, at three clubs and you didn't list the superintendent you worked for as a reference, uh, I'm probably going to be giving that guy a call, right. find out what, what you're about. And, uh, you know, they're not judge and jury as a reference, but I'm going to find out whether it's a uh, thumbs up, um, good guy, progressed a lot during his time here, made our place a better place. Uh, or, you know, sometimes you get that one, which is fantastic, like, I'd bring him back here tomorrow if I could. That guy was the best I've ever seen. That's the kind of response that I want to hear. So there's a lesson to be learned there, too. Um, don't burn any bridges. You know, when people are on their last week or last month at a place of employment, always leave on a good note because our industry is small. It's very, very tight, and people do call and do know each other. Uh, if I wanted to find out right now who some of the best technicians are, uh, just use a metropolitan area like Atlanta or Washington, D.C. or New York, uh, probably with about five phone calls. I'd get, If I start getting the same responses over and over sure. again, yep. uh, that's a very, very positive thing. Um, interestingly enough, and you've done it with uh, your organizations that you're involved with, guys that take on leadership positions, you know, that's an important thing. 
Uh, in other words, this guy carries his own water, does his own job, and then wants to help other people that are out there. So you know, he might teach a seminar, he might consult, he might do other things. All those things that that individual does, and and don't rule other stuff out. Um, I am impressed when people are leaders in their community. I am impressed when people are leaders in whether it be Boy Scouts or youth baseball, what their church, whatever it might be. And if we take a look at all of that, um, I got to tell you um, that that's that speaks volumes to me about their character as an individual. And let's face it. You know what? I'm going to spend more hours of the day, waking hours, with that technician than I am with my family. Right. So it better be somebody that I'm copacetic with and get along with quite well. That's that's the bottom line. Yeah, no, I agree totally with that. So <clears throat> next subject, obviously, we've talked a little bit about consulting. Um, obviously there's a lot of agronomic consultants in our industry. You know, what advice would, would you give those thinking about becoming a consultant? I mean, I know, and I remember, you know, the talk that we had, I think I was in Dallas, uh, what, maybe seven years ago when I called you up and said, Hey, look, you know, I'm looking at maybe doing equipment management consulting and we kind of talked through it. And, you know, part of your advice was, you know, listen, don't quit your day job and think that consulting is going to be able to pay the bills. And, and I think it, for me, it was, it was that discussion that really helped me understand what the, that part of the business was like. And you were a hundred percent correct. I mean, there, there's times where, you know, I'm gone all the time. And then there's times where, geez, when, you know, when are you going to get a phone call? Um, so it, it's definitely been great for me to have known that prior to deciding, Hey, I'm just going to go all in on consulting. Because uh, I would have been, who knows where what I, I would have been had I had I not called you. So, you know, what what advice would you give those that want to want to do consulting? Well, you stole my thunder a little <laughs> bit there, Stephen, by asking the question and answering yep. it. But uh, yeah, definitely don't give up your day job. I was fortunate, and interestingly enough, I just saw something the other day that reminded me of it. When I was in my twenties, I had a local golf course in Chicago, Villa Olivia Country Club that asked me to come over and uh, look at the golf course and give them some hints and ideas. And it was a very good relationship with the superintendent there named Eddie Jerns. And uh, the Corrado brothers owned this uh, country club, Ski Hill area, and they were a client of mine for 22 years. Uh, side note, I charged them a paltry fee at the time because I was inexperienced and I didn't know what to charge and I just wanted to get my feet well with it. And 22 years later, I charged them the same fee for an annual visit. I you never forget the ones who, who you know, who, who brought you to the dance. Right. You know, that's uh, a very, very important thing for me. Well, um, sadly for other clients, the price has gone up over the last uh, uh, 50 years or so, 45 years, I guess. And with that, people say, well, gee, you get a lot of money for a day of consulting. Well, it's not the day of consulting. It may take you a day to get there may take you the day that you're there, may take you a day to get home, may take you a day to write the report. And, you know, people, depending on your relationship, when you're doing consulting, uh, there's this feeling that you're on call and it's all for the same fee. So if you're visiting a golf course one time a year and you're charging them for one day, it may actually take five or six of your days. Uh, as an entrepreneur, business works this way. All you're getting paid is billable days. 
So if you want to make a certain amount of money, figure out how many billable days you think you can do per week, multiply that times 50. And that's, as you just said, if you're busy all the time, there's going to be lulls and there's going to be times when you got four clients at the same time. So with that, if you take that number and you add it up and say, well, I'm currently making $100,000 at my job. And wow, if I match $100,000 consulting, I'm going to be square. Not so fast. You got to pay for your car. You got to pay for your health insurance. You got to pay for your uh, input into a 401k. There's a number of different things that you have to cover, your office expense, et cetera, et cetera. Wear and tear on your car. Sure, you can write certain things off from a tax perspective, but you got to figure out that whatever you were grossing, if you want to equal that, you've got to do 150% of that. And when you have a job at a club, you're going to get paid 52 weeks out of the year. When you have a job as a consultant, you might get paid 30 weeks out of the year. You know, that's the way it goes. And guess what? You can't make that up. Once that year is gone, you're into the next year. So, uh, you know, that's one of the main things is people go in with starry eyes like this is going to be a great deal. You know, if guys are retired and they, they choose to help or assist clubs, that's a different thing. But, uh, you know, another story is if you're working for a club, you got to get permission from your club to be able to go and do that. Uh, I'll, I'll give one of my secrets away, I guess, to the group here. But both of the clubs that I work for, I had as a part of my agreement that I could, on my own time, do independent consulting work. And they agreed to that. So it wasn't like I had to go off on my own and take the time to do it as long as it didn't interfere with my job. And if I was given a certain number of days off per week or a certain number of days off per year, I could take that time, which was significant because I had a good career, uh, and do consulting. So, uh, again, I would just say that there are um, there's more to it than meets the eye. If somebody's doing it to supplement their income, that's a little bit different story. Now, you know, we talked about job searches. That's one area of consulting in the agronomic arena. But in addition to that, um, and again, anybody can look it up on my website for Bruce Williams Golf Consulting. But, you know, I write articles for uh, magazines. Uh, I give speeches all over the world. Some pro bono, some I charge for. Uh, I do uh, consulting for corporations, think tank work. So there's a variety of different things that are out there, not just the standard one day visit to a golf course. And uh, uh, I, my friend Ted Horton, who I admire a lot, uh, I learned from him a long time ago. It's like a pie chart. And in this pie chart, you got different wedges. And if what you're doing, and I'll give you an example, like 10 years ago, uh, the golf market was, was dying and the number of searches I did dried up. It was very, very few searches. So when that happened, then I had to pick up another segment, another sector to cover that area. So that's what you have to do. You're going to spend as much as 25 to 30% of your time as a consultant marketing yourself. And when I say marketing yourself, it's not in the same way that we might do if we're selling a, a product or a piece of equipment or whatever, but you got to get out. You got to be visible. You got to be seen. You got to be on social media. You got to have touches out there and you got to have a network. And uh, I think I've shared this one with you before, Stephen. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but
but I got 200 people that I can get a hold of on a moment's notice that'll help me with anything that I need in the consulting arena. And, you know, I'm not a plant pathologist, but I know some of the best plant pathologists. So those are people that, you know, you give, you get, you lean on them. They lean on you. You work as a network. I refer them to different jobs. I may do uh, testing at their laboratories. So lots of different ways to look at things, but you got to look at consulting, not as a, uh, um, uh, just a side thing. You really got to look at consulting as a business. And are you going to grind, you know, 60, 70 hours a week? Because that's what it's going to take. Right. No, great stuff. And, you know, I know with my employer, that was one of the first things that we talked about was, you know, my ability to go out and do consulting and stuff. And they were very supportive of it. And main reason is, you know, when I go out to a golf course to consult, I'm learning as well. I mean, I'm seeing different ways that people do stuff. Um, different ideas that they that they may have had and and some of that stuff i can bring back and implement at our facility or in our operation and and so it becomes a kind of a two-way street uh, worth of value in terms of consulting and and getting ideas as well so uh so yeah i certainly took your advice on on letting the employer know uh that, that that's one of the things i was doing um i think uh one of the other questions is, you know, especially for those courses that are that are looking for consultants, you know, how do you know which one's right for you or which one's the right consultant for your property? I mean, what things should they be looking for when they're when they're going to hire someone um, to, you know, I, I know my first opinion of consultants right out of the gate when I was young was, you know, why do we need to have someone come tell us what we need, what we already know we need to do, but we may not have the money to do? Um, and, you know, after visiting with some, I've noticed that, you know, some may operate that way and some don't. And, and so how, how would a uh, potential person looking to hire a consultant, how would they know who to get or, or what to look for? Okay, more often than not, uh, it's private country clubs that are hiring consultants or privately owned uh, country, you know, golf courses, country clubs, uh, not so much the municipalities. Uh, but anyway, that being said, who runs those businesses? Well, general managers run those businesses. And do general managers use consultants? You're darn right they do. Uh, board of directors of those clubs are usually very successful business people. They use consultants in their business all the time. So the reality is uh, you've got to position yourself that, A, I can help you. Here's what my background is. And ultimately, you know, why bringing me in is of value to you. What's your return on investment? So I won't get into all the financial ramifications, sure. but uh, if what I'm charging somebody, uh, and I just tell them flat out, if I can't bring you five, six, seven, eight ideas that aren't going to save you five times what you're paying me, then don't pay me. Right. And I don't list it on the website, but I've said it to everyone I've ever worked for. If you don't like the job I do, don't pay me. I've never had anybody yet not pay me the full amount. Right. So, I mean, that's maybe a little bit of 45 plus years of consulting and confidence that exists there, but it is what it is. And uh, as I say, I get a lot of repeat business uh, in the hiring sector, not so much because, you know, you get somebody at a job, I've got guys 20 years in a job 
that have been a superintendent there. And that's a good thing. But sometimes the managers move to a different club. They look me up for the next hire, you know, to get a superintendent. And uh, so hopefully that answers part of that. What else was the other part of that question, Stephen? Well, just uh, if a company was looking, the, the the basic was just if a company is looking for someone, how do they, you know, how do they know what they're looking for? Um, ah, yes, yes, I, I I forgot that part of it. So uh, the easiest way today is go on the internet and Google, you know, golf course consulting or something like that, agronomic consulting. Well, there's pro, you know, if you do that, you'll probably get twenty people that show up. Uh, my recommendation is uh, it's not always necessary to have somebody that lives within 30 miles of your property, but they should have had experience uh, in that region or in that climate or in that zone. More often, uh, agronomic consulting is very site-specific, so it deals with water quality issues, deals with different types of pH, um, as I said earlier, altitude, um, construction issues. And again, just like you're hiring somebody, you're hiring a set of eyes for a day or a couple days. Do they match up with what your needs are? And uh, I have no problem personally. I'll be happy to get on a plane and fly somewhere or at least do a phone conversation with a potential client and tell them what I have to offer and what I can bring to the table. I have no problem providing a potential client with four or five of my written reports of another club with the names redacted uh, so that they can see what kind of thing they can expect at their particular property. So, um, you know, one of the things we do set up in the consulting side of things is here's what the deliverables are. You know, I will do a site visit. You know, I'll arrive at a certain hour. I'll be finished a certain hour. I'll do an in brief. I'll do an out brief. We'll analyze the following items. And if this is what they want, it may be water quality, it may be a soil report, maybe equipment fleet, et cetera, et cetera. But as you know, Stephen, the equipment fleet, um, I got my hands full with everything else, so I'll refer some of that stuff to you. Right. And, uh, you know, with that, sometimes we tag things, some of those things of here's from an agronomic standpoint what's needed. Here's from a business standpoint what's needed. Now, here's the guy that understands the exact technical nature of it. Right. And, you know, that, that's I have no qualms bringing in somebody like yourself that's as much or more qualified in a specific area than what I am. So, again, I think they have to do their due diligence and do their research. Um, ironically, I don't do club manager searches. I don't do tennis pro searches. I don't do culinary expert searches because it's out of my realm. Right. And uh, there are some companies that will search just about anything in the golf business and maybe they have the experts that are able to do that and they're bigger um that's fine i'm a more personal touch i try to do everything i can myself and not have to bring outside people in right well bruce i appreciate it um you know my my goal was to try to help you know those that were looking at or considering consulting uh to kind of get a better understanding of it and and what all is involved in the process but you know at the same time also you know those guys that that are you know not landing those big jobs and wondering well you know what did i do wrong or what should i be doing differently and and for those that are actually looking for them right they're maybe at a 
at kind of a middle of the road course and wanting to take, you know, wanting to get to one of those big jobs and what things should they be prepared for. So, you know, I appreciate you covering all that stuff with me in this half hour we spent together. And, and again, you know, I certainly appreciate, you know, the, the ability to have these conversations with you more so uh, <laughs> on the phone one-on-one versus the podcast. But, but, you know, the great thing about our relationship has been, you know, listen, you know, we, we, I think we both pretty much tell it how it is. You know, there's no, there is no kind of fluff. This, this is what it is. And, and I really appreciate that. So thank you, A, for your time today, but more so, you know, for, for helping me understand, you know, the business uh, from a different point of view. And, and I always appreciate our conversations. Stephen, thanks for all you do for the industry. It's been fun to watch uh, the development and maturation of the industry from the technician and uh, fleet manager side of things. And uh, obviously, you and I have done work with a number of different manufacturers and such, and the professionalism level continues to rise uh, from your side of the industry, and it does on our side of the industry as well. And I, I don't mean to say we're taking sides, but Uh, My dad used to tell me a rising tide raises all ships. And if we take people in our industry, we don't have to worry about elevating the people at the top. You take the people that are more entry level and rudimentary in the way they do their things, whether it be a greenkeeper, superintendent, uh, mechanic, technician, et cetera. We take those people at the bottom, lift them by their bootstraps. They're going to push the people in the middle and the people in the middle will push the people at the top and ultimately You'll just watch this uh, uh, very interesting curve that we all improve and the industry improves. So thanks, thanks for giving me a call today, Stephen. All right, Bruce. Have a good uh, have a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Yes, sir. Bye.